This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go. Welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. My name's James Gill. I am the MC at the multi-award-winning comedy nights, Always Be Comedy. I'm joined, as always, by my comedy husband, Always Be Comedy's very own, Tim Lewis. Hello, Tim Lewis. Hello, James Gill. The Always Be Comedy podcast is where we sit down with a guest and they curate what would be their dream comedy gig. Who would open? Who would close? What sort of gigging nightmare that they've experienced must not, under any circumstances, happen at this fantasy comedy gig? It's all this and so much more. And by so much more, we often mean quite a lot of gossip. Hello, welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. We are already on to episode number 20. So we thought, number 20, you get a, a, a special guest. Hey, you know what? They're all special guests. Uh, but we've got Rose Matafeo to celebrate. Tim, I'm talking about episode 20 like it's episode 1000. I've, I've already got carried away in characteristic fashion. Um, but hey, as an MC, I guess that's, that's part of my job to get carried away. Tim, Rose Matafeo, we are... If, if, there was a, if there was the Rose Matafeo fan club, I think we'd be uh, secretary and <laughs> chair chairperson. We, we think she's uh, a ferocious talent. Yeah, ridiculous. If I think of, like, who represents 2023 comedy, uh, Rose Matafeo is one of the few on that list. I think she is absolutely exceptional. Uh, she really speaks to... I think we're a similar age, so she really speaks to me. She really speaks to uh, especially women in their early 30s. Look, I'm a... I'm a- 45 year old man and it, and a lot of rose's stuff speaks to me as well i mean this tim i, I know we mustn't burn we, we 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 will not and we mustn't burn any gear but this new gear of roses is absolutely top draw stuff isn't it yeah it's it's quite personal stuff um and <laughs> to, to know the way she talk about her life makes it so unique to sort of anyone else out there right now. And whilst also being relatable and... It's so relatable. Yeah, she's putting this stuff together for a work in progress run in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And for work in progress show, it's already unbelievable. It's crazy. We, we wish we could plug some of Rose's work in progress shows, but they're all sold out. So really, we'd just be plugging... A waiting list, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, now, e- excitingly, and, and I'll tell you what, Tim, we really love exclusives, and Rose Rose 
said all sorts. Very exciting episode. We 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 love this episode. So Rose has coming up Starstruck season three. Uh, what a wonderful show that is, and it's one of those shows that people don't just the people that like Starstruck don't just don't just like it. They have like this visceral connection to it. It was a show that dropped uh, during uh, I, I use the word dropped and then remembered that I'm 45. Uh, it dropped during lockdown, and because it was such um, to call it warm is not is is almost uh, it's doing it a disservice. It's so much more than that, and Rose is so good in it. But people really embrace this show, and so and also the the viewing figures for this show uh, absolutely incredible, as as we mentioned with Rose. So keep an eye out because season three promises to be a belter. Uh, Rose has also revealed that she has co-directed with uh, co-director Alice Snedden, season three. Could that lead to more directing from Rose? Well, you'll have to listen to the uh, episode, but as you can imagine, given the uh, tone of how I'm saying this, the answer is yes. Um, (laughs) There's there's also uh, Junior Taskmaster coming up with uh, another friend of the night, uh, Mike Wozniak, and then also fellow movie lovers, do you know what? I consider myself a movie buff. And then I chat with the likes of Rose and Always Be Comedy's very own Tim. And I realise that I am very much Johnny Blockbuster compared to, <laughs> compared to these indie darlings. I like, You know what? This is very defensive. I used to see a lot more indie movies, but because there's an Odeon cinema, uh, not some, a, a couple of stone throws away from my house, I, I, I am Johnny Blockbuster these days. But Rose very exciting, has her own, she curates her own series of films at the Prince Charles Theatre in London. If you Google Rose Matafeo and Prince Charles, this page is brilliant, uh, princecharlescinema.com, and she has her own page, Matafeo at the movies, so brilliant. Um, And coming up, you can see, uh, Tim, are we going for charade or charade? I should know this, but I don't, so, one of those directed <laughs> by Stanley Donan, starring Audrey Hepburn, Cary Grant, uh, Walter Matthau. Absolute classic. Thursday, the 31st of August, uh, 8.15. James Coburn is in it as well. Oh, my gosh. That's a big year for Coburn because 1963, Coburn also had uh one of my favorite films the great escape and i think he's wonderful in that film he plays an australian in the great escape got a bit bit of flack for the accent i disagree his charisma a bit like sean connery in the untouchables who got a bit of flack for his irish accent connery in the untouchables i'm I'm going on a tangent on a tangent connery in in the untouchables top three best ever connery performances he won the oscar whoa i would say let's not get bogged down with accents and on the topic I'm going to say it. Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins is absolutely phenomenal. And this rewatch the film, that performance, he is off the charts. And to, it's such a hack, isn't it? Mocking the, the Van Dyke. It's so fun. Like, I don't, what are people think they're watching? It's not watching Daniel Day Lewis film. It's Mary Poppins. It's, it's so Mary much Poppins fun. and the physicality, that guy's energy. And he's like, he's like a piece of elastic. I mean, Right, the takeaway from this intro, sorry. <laughs> we, right, anyway, uh, hang on. If anyone would appreciate it, Rose Matafeo would appreciate our Dick Van Dyke loving, because I also want to say the old bamboo song from Chitty Bang Bang is a YouTube video I'll watch 
I'll, well, I watch as soon as we finish this. I watch it most months. The old bamboo, mate. Surely that's the best thing in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah, yeah, it's not not great a film always, but 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 I think Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is one of those films, right? Right, you know, when you're a child and you have no concept of what a good or a bad film is. Yeah, I actually feel bad for saying it's not great because I actually do things great. Because when yeah, because when you're a child, I mean, I've good grief, seen that film so many times. Mary Poppins probably even more times. And when you're a kid, I think you're just so excited to be watching a film and you don't realise, Tim, I might have told you this before, my mum put Mary Poppins on for my nephews when they were much younger. And she was like, oh, boys, you are, this film is going to blow you away. Yeah. And then she pressed play and she, she said to me, she's like, you forget how long films used to take to get going. <laughs> yeah. Because we, we, live, we live in an age now where there's like a car chase. In like minute one, just because our attention spans are absolutely frazzled, whereas Mary Poppins is more of a slow burn than you than you you know oh it sort God. of it gradually builds up. Oh, Ju- I mean Julie Andrews in that film. Hey, Tim, Julie <laughs> yeah. Andrews, Julie Andrews won the Oscar for Mary Poppins. Did she? Yep, guys, we're doing this. <laughs> Can I just say this is the this? You might disagree. This is my favorite intro we've ever done. I apologise for another tangent. Do you have a favourite ever uh, winner's speech? Yes, I do, Tim. And I'm glad you said that because a couple of minutes ago, I thought I must bring up uh, favourite speeches. Mine might be Matthew McConaughey, Dallas Buyers Club. Really? Yeah, that was a speech that I used to watch on a loop a lot. Like like, like you say with Old Bamboo, once a month, I would bang out uh, the McConaughey speech. It is phenomenal what, what's yours it's dustin hoffman for kramer versus kramer and it's just one of the best videos in general of all time it's so good john robbins referenced it in his edinburgh award speech which is another wikipedia page i go through many times i see who won who's a newcomer blah 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 i guess the crux of it is how he doesn't feel like he has beaten jack lemon and so on None of us have ever lost because we're all actors working so hard or something. It's better than that. Oh my but god, mate, literally hairs on my arms sticking you've up. Got to watch it. And Probably. especially with the uh strikes going on in Hollywood at the moment, it's never been more relevant. Very good. McConaughey, he got there's a bit of backlash for for his speech because he says somebody asked him who his hero, who my who my hero is and it's and it's it's basically it's him in the future and uh and I, and what he means by that is that he can ne- he, he will never he, he can never become that because the hero, hero is always always in the future so he's always striving to be a better person i thought the sentiment was absolutely oh perfect. that's nice some people are going oh, a bit a bit self-obsessed but no 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 that's that's not what you're saying he's he's the 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 the, the point of what you're saying is is that if you always if, if, if you if you make if you make your hero you in the future that can only lead to self-betterment and self-improvement. And as someone who's read, someone who's essentially completed all the self-help books, I thought that was a really beautiful angle. So um, after you've listened to this episode, don't, don't stop now, please watch uh, watch the Dustin Hoffman one, yeah. watch the Matthew McConaughey one, and then John Kearns recommended, this is a beauty, uh, Charlie Chaplin's. Have you ever seen that? 
Yes, I watched it on his recommendation. Yeah, oh my oh, God. My God. Right, you know, uh, Tim, I know you know this because you've seen it, but listener, you know you, you know, you hear the word bravo, as in <laughs> yeah. people shout bravo if something something's been good. I didn't think that that ever happened in real life. I thought it's sort of thing that might happen in like a cartoon, you know, an old Tom <laughs> and Jerry cartoon or something. Bravo, bravo. Right, watch Charlie Chaplin receive his honorary Oscar. Oh my God. Oh my god and also to bring it back to the tommy field uh if you, a little interesting fact there is a charlie chaplin plaque that you can actually see from the door of the tommy field because charlie chaplin as a child lived a a literal stone's throw away from always be comedy at the tommy field a little bit of uh, a bit of throwaway trivia there i, I mean i i reckon i tell you what mate if you're gonna put if you're gonna put money on somebody scooping international gongs uh, Rose Matafeo has that vibe, doesn't she? Yeah, absolutely. As always, please do email in. We do have a bit of a backlog of correspondence. We will be honest, our unplanned Oscars tangent uh, has <laughs> delayed correspondence. We'll try to get through more next week. Uh, please do email in the team at alwaysbecomedy.com. We're very grateful. There's been a flurry of five-star reviews. Huge and heartfelt thanks. If and only if you have time to write uh, a five-star review, that is always uh, hashtag totes uh, If you only have time to just post the five stars without writing the review, that is also absolutely lovely. Um, and if you write the five-star review with, with some lovely words, we will endeavor to read them out as always. Uh, huge and heartfelt thanks. Rose Matafeo, incredible value on stage obviously as we've said but then also off stage as we talk about if you've seen the corridor photos on the instagram we're uh, across the socials at always be comedy but if you've ever seen the pictures with rose in as we talk about rose actually directs the probably the only comedian who directs the shoots um tim you know what now that i'm saying out loud she dropped the breadcrumbs that she's uh, yeah. uh tremendous yeah I only now put the pieces together that she's a natural director. Uh, so, uh, Tim, you know what? The, you know, when she name drops the people that she name drops, it all makes sense now, doesn't it, that Rose will go on to be a champion director? I haven't, one of the names she drops, I haven't stopped thinking about. I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's who you are for 2023. Yeah, Tim mentioned this before we pressed record. You, you'll, you'll see what we're talking about. Here she is, one of, my God, one of the very best, uh, an absolute firebrand, uh, the incomparable, the, the incredible Rose Matafeo. Uh, right, we're joined, Ro Rose Matafeo, I, I would say Tim Lewis and myself, the number of times we've said to, like puffed out our cheeks and gone, Jesus wept. T uh, t quote Tim Lewis, always be comedy, the voice of her generation. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> but, well, what we, even, right, if you're going to bat that away, Rose, what I would say, you're. No, I am a voice in a I am a part of a generation that's for sure. That's very sweet. You guys are too sweet. It's very, uh, very nice of you. But this, this gear that you're, I'm not going to burn any of it, obviously, but the gear yeah. we've seen these past few weeks and months, the reaction in the room, and not. Also, I mean, I'm 45. This, I relate to so much of it. Um, you know, the bit about, I mean, no, hang on, don't burn the gear. But you must, <laughs> you must be very, you must be. Burn it. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
no it's been it's been great it's been so great to do some new stuff uh at the i mean it's just i mean it's a wonderful gig anyway to 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 perform at and a great great crowd to do especially new stuff and as i said to you james it was it was a it was a real lifeline of a of a gig to jump back into stand up after having such quite like a quite a long you know period of time i haven't been doing it and and I mean, I even said it in a, in, a, in a show this week. I've got uh, realizing I haven't done a sh- an hour show, like a new hour, in five years. Five years, I guess. Amazing. And it's so weird to come back to writing stuff and going and looking at you know stuff and shows that last this last show I did and going, oh my god, I am older now, and I actually think different things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My perspective has changed, and then but then you're kind of growing. You know, you're getting older alongside people who have watched you have been the same age as you throughout you know you doing comedy and and it's sort of it's like it still it connects with people and stuff so yeah it's quite um i'm glad the uh fellow 30 year olds and 31 year olds had come into the shows to watch how does that feel though when you're because obviously when you're doing something for the first time you're not sure if you know if, if people are going to go for it but not only are people going for it and you're getting that big booming laugh but you're also getting that that noise of that that wrecking that um oh my god yes that's so me as well i mean that that's that's like uh, a, a double treat i guess well i think it's a, it's just what type of comedy you do right because like i think it's too i mean you you can fall you know like into the rabbit hole of sort of trying to be so self reflective about your own comedy and i think specific, specifically like if you've done it for a while and you start trying to go, how would someone describe what you know you do? Because you can easily describe what your friends do and your peers do and your favorite comedians do, what their style is. When it comes to you doing it, you go, it becomes really uncomfortable, I think. And you go, oh shit, what are the things I, I always do? And, and, and what parts of your personality do you put on stage and what is different and all of that stuff. And I think it's, um, I do think that to do material that's like, tries to relate to something in a crowd i think is a wuss move on my behalf and that it's an immediate kind of like tapping into a common um thought or or or, or anxiety or something like that like and then the term relatability i think is so like sometimes overused and sometimes in a bad and often a bad way where you go she's so especially with women like she's so relatable it's <laughs> really you know especially like a tv stuff and I, to be honest, I admire people who are maybe more brave in the sense of, of doing material that, you know, is, is, is not necessarily going, do you know when this happens and all this, like, you know, which is admittedly what I do um, a lot, but I do think it's a real, um, I don't know, like not a defense thing, but like, uh, I'm so nervous on stage that to immediately try and connect with an audience and get them on your side in that way i'd much rather do that but maybe it's because i'm a people pleaser oh, fuck, i don't know man it, it, it's, it's too much it gets you too much in your head about you know who am i you know when you put yourself on stage it's it's too much of a head fuck. but but okay. i mean you are this is a compliment you are unashamedly and uniquely rose matter you're not derivative of any when i watch you i always think Rose is 100% right. You know, like some acts, they'll say, oh, I'm, I'm, re- I'm really inspired by such and such. And you're like, yeah, I can yeah. tell, mate, you've done after the set. 
um <laughs> was that was that always the way had you have you found found your voice straight away or, or early on was it different well i think well i've always i've said this in the past actually about about comedy and that you know when i was growing up uh obviously there's female comedians that i admired and stuff but so much of the landscape was was you know the same dudes you know like your your comedy heroes would would often be guys because that was just the the kind of gender that dominated the scene and 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 pop culture in general even in america and the uk and everywhere so i, I always said that it's it's easy because i would just sort of um i guess mimic men and because i'm a woman no one would no, notice the difference so it's like you know you could say that like i i would do jokes in the same like I loved, um, well, I love still Paul F. Tompkins is one of my favorite stand-ups, and I got you know was really obsessed with his, um, especially impersonal that album as a teenager. And there are certain jokes I do where I'd be like, I'm doing that in the exact intonation of Paul F. Tompkins or Mitch Hedberg. I'm like, I've just said that like Mitch Hedberg, but um, luckily uh, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a chick, so no one notices, and so I get away with it. <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 a. Uh, it, it's but they're all artists like that oh yeah i can say but you know all work or creative work really is like that it's like a amalgamation of all the different influences and and not just comedy and then it kind of gets all filtered through sort of an immense of you and then comes out as a slightly new version of it all and also so, yeah. you know I, you know this is um i've said this to i've said this to rose before so rose's gear and the stuff that she's talking about with this with this new stuff inspired me to get back into therapy having not done therapy for yeah. for years so i mean really i mean i know i've thanked you already but but thank you so much for that i mean um <laughs> no, that's such a, i mean that's a huge um huge uh, i i'm 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 very flattered that you that was in any way my un my truly un, like they could be taken the wrong way as well some people could be like <laughs> so yeah, hang on hang on wait so her, her material was so deeply unhinged you went well i'm gonna have to really i don't want to be like that I don't want to be like that on stage. Is that what my, is that what I sound like? Oh, I'm going back to therapy now. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I've, I've said that though because I mean I remember. Do you remember? I said it's so shameful. Like, I mean, when I started doing gigs again, not shameful really, but you know, when I started doing gigs again after like finishing this third series of of the show that I, you know been making for the last five years or whatever, it. Um, I was also in like a pretty low mental place. Lots of things have happened. If you want to know what it was, come see my show, pay the money, pay the ticket. <laughs> I, I ain't spilling any of it now, but, um, <laughs> but I was definitely, I was not like in the best place. And I know that's a real cliche and possibly, you know, a, a, a kind of unfortunately um, sort of, uh, I guess, what would be the word? Um, enabled kind of uh lack of mental health or or or, or, or this like that, that that kind of idea of comedians got to be fucked up in a way to be like able to do their to their work which is so deeply untrue but the, the also the fact is, is that you know in comedy you, you kind of got to keep doing it you go through many ebbs and flows and ups and downs in your own mental state across your lifetime and if you're putting that will affect your work in a way what doing those gigs actually at, at ABC was just so funny being like, being like, okay, first couple of gigs I did, did, did there, 
there was some stuff going on. And then by the time three months later, I was doing the same material. I was like, oh, I'm in a completely different place as I was before. I think that has to do with the material you do as well, because if you're doing material that's, you know, slightly personal um, or, you know, uh, talking about big stuff, uh, it's it's going to it's going to it's going to come out in that in that sense. But um, yeah. I think maybe I should just never talk about myself on stage again. <laughs> Please promise me that that won't be the case. <laughs> well, it's we... a, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Oh, honestly, it's I. As I say, I'm, I know, I know, I'm, I know I'm considerably older, but I, God, I, I relate to so much of of what you say. It, it, you know, well, so much, it stayed with me so much that I was prepared to uh, get back into therapy. Now, now, well, existential angst, existential angst really is a generation crosser in terms of you know, big time. Uh, Relatability. <laughs> now, I want to get onto Starstruck in a sec, but I, I want to ask: you won a competition. You won a stand-up competition, age fifteen. Is that right? Yes, I did. Yeah. Well, it was. It was. It was basically kind of like a nice little prize at the end of a two-week holiday boot camp comedy thing, uh, which is I don't know. They don't really have the equivalent at a place like the UK or, or the Fringe, because obviously it's you know it's too, New Zealand is a small country to be able to have a comedy festival. They do it in. Melbourne as well, I think, but it's called Class Comedians. And so you sign up, um, you audition. Basically, comedians go out to high schools at, at, and do lunchtime concerts for all of these high schools around like Auckland, which is where I grew up. And then they offer an hour long comedy workshop after school um, on, on like the week after. And then from there, like one kid would get picked to then if they wanted to do two weeks to to learn more about comedy and lots of comedians come in and chat you through stuff and then that's all working towards like a five minute set um Amazing. Uh, at the end of it yeah and and it was and it was it was so many people in the kind of new zealand scene actually came up through that but oh my god i tried out when i was 13 <gasps> and i was too young and uh i was because they have to you have to be 15 so i came back when i was 15 like i had written a joke for it because i really wanted to get in and <laughs> and then yeah, and then I did the gig at the end of those two weeks, and I've got I've got video footage of that gig on YouTube as a private hidden video that I will never show anyone. But sometimes I watch it myself. Oh, that's so awesome! I know it's mental. So, is it? Were you? Now I ask this question as someone who, who pretty much from the womb dreamed of being a comedian to the extent where uh, I wrote to Les Dennis when I was like, my teacher helped me. I was like seven years. Anyway. <laughs> So, so, so when you're saying that, I'm like, I, I, God, I would look, I would have loved to have done something like that. Mm. What, how did you, how did you write the the material at, at, at that age? Well, we had a bit of help. Like, um, I, uh, we would have a bit of help with writing the material from, you know, comedians, which then because you're like mentor comedians, like in the scene, which then I became, you know, did that for when I got the older and. You know, helped out some of the some of the some of the kids. I would offer, I would actually went back and did the lunchtime concerts to try and get people into class and ran some of the workshops uh, when I was a bit older. Oh my god! I, I was giving back to the community, obviously. But yeah, it was uh, it it was funny because I was fifteen. I had braces. I was a dork. I was, you know, I didn't have much to write about. It was very very observational stuff. I recall remember getting sign language, the Jerry Seinfeld book of his jokes out from the library when I was about 11 years old and reading that and learning a bit. I was like, okay, so this is what comedy is. And like, this was, you know, this was 2006, I think. So stand up wasn't a thing I'd had seen a bunch of apart from on television or like 
you know, early YouTube and stuff. And so it was um, kind of basically doing an impression of like what I thought stand-up comedy was, you know, based on genuinely like the stand-up bits in Seinfeld and like the occasional um, televised comedy galas on TV and, and uh, you know, whatever I'd see on television. But the material was really like, Oh, one was about the, the first joke I wrote was about the Denny's theme tune, which was in New Zealand, which was like basically taking the piss of like how the theme tune was like Denny's, 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 Denny's. And then like trying to like do like a work, like an act out of like the boardroom of like where they like came up, how they came up with that, <laughs> that theme song and, and like just stupid, like stupid whimsical shit. Like, oh, what was the other one about? Ah, oh, I think I had a Snow White joke that where the, I mean, honestly, the punchline was like necrophilia or some shit. And it, it was like, I was like 15 and it was just like, what is she doing? Like I was, I watched the video back and I'm like, this is a, just a 15 year old totally doing an impression of a of an adult comedian. I was so confident and I seemed confident, much less confident than I probably am now. But it was a really bizarre, a real bizarre um, experience to, to, to see that because. Awesome. Yeah, it was, it was it's awesome to have it on, on video to be yeah. fair. It's like my first ever, ever, ever gig. And Mark Watson was in that gig and he was the one that uh, awarded me, helped award the Nailed It On The Night um, prize. Um, wow. So Mark, I've known since I was 15. That's, That's incredible. Really yeah. uh, now, now, Starstruck. Mm. An actual juggernaut. I, I read the three million viewers. Now, to the listener, you just got to trust me on this. There are there are mainstream Saturday night network TV shows that would dream of getting three million viewers. So, how, how's that been? Having this proper mega hit on your hands. I mean, that's. I guess what I'm saying is huge yeah. congratulations. I mean, that's wonderful. That's very kind, James. No, it's very good. It's, I mean, it's 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 weird. I've I've. We've just finished, probably finished sort of all of the work on the third series. Um, and it'll be out sometime soon. I, it's weird. It is weird because I did count it up and I was like, oh my God, this has been like about five years of my life. I started writing the, the pilot of it when I was at Melbourne Comedy Festival in 2018, where I was doing Horn Dog. So I was doing Horn Dog and I was also trying to write that pilot um, while I was while I was I was there. And, um, wait, was that? Yes, it was the case. It was the case. Um, and, um, I just feel very lucky. I've got to make something that I like, I'm pretty proud of and enjoy. And it's really, it's just, it's, but it's luck though. I feel like it's luck that like, it's just caught on and people have, have, have enjoyed it and watched it and a timing thing as well, because the first series came out in lockdown and everyone was kind of looking for something to, like there was a whole obsession of like, can we ever watch things that you see people touch and hug and kiss? Like, isn't that going to be weird to us? Like, fast forward what two years, and we're like, we're starved of it. And I think that was really like a a massive benefit from um, being a rom com. People were very interested in seeing people kiss and hug and flirt. What can you What can you share without spoiling anything, Rose? Um. I don't know. No, no, no. I'm in it. I'm in it. 
normally when the person asks that question, they'll say something like, what can you share without the show's creator appearing and breaking my neck? But I'm actually, I'm, given I'm talking to... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> say, yeah. No, no, no. Rose, I'm still going to travel for the powers breaks of her own neck. No, no, because this is out. I know this is out a bit early, but it, it's, it's, it's the only, the things I can say is it is coming. It is eventually. I mean, I'm in it. Um, I have, I can tell you, I've got a middle parting in it. That's huge scoop, huge scoop. I've written, uh, written it with my fellow writers, Alice and Nick, Nick Sampson, Alice Nedder, and Alice and I have directed it this year, which is, um, awesome, which has been really cool and really exciting to be able to have taken on that responsibility. Oh it's, my it's gosh. It's a good series. It's a good series. You know what? I'll say it's my favorite of them all and I'm very happy with it. And I'll be interested to see what people think of it. <laughs> That's all I'll say. But now as a movie fan, uh, you know, I know yeah. you're a huge movie fan. Is that, is, is the directing, is that a step towards, uh, you know, Rose Metafeo becoming the new Chris Nolan and what have you. Yeah, def that's exactly it. I, I everyone's I was on their their lips. Uh, I went with Nolan. He's, he's, my, to be Nolan. he's my favorite. <laughs> well, I um, are you going to see Oppenheimer? Oh wait. When are you going to see? Okay, okay, okay. Interesting. I mean, I uh, I I saw a photo of him, a younger version of. Did you see a, a, like a, this photo of young Chris Nolan? Huh? I was like, damn, he looks like a Disney prince. It's kind of wild. He's got his like floopy hair and stuff. Great yeah. jawline. Um, he, he, yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed directing. It was a really interesting process doing it and being in it. Um, but I love movies. I love making things, and I, I do want to keep directing. I mean, I think that's something that I want to start doing um, more and more, and write, writing my own stuff and being able to make it as well, which is you know a common. And then there's like a there is a path to that um in comedy and stand-up uh precedents for that you know like yeah Aldi's, you know yeah freaking yeah albert brooks's your redacted woody allen's um uh all of that so it's kind of it's it's i think it's a it's an interesting one to try and pivot in a way i know that tim is thinking the exact same thing on behalf of tim and myself as you were saying that my heart was swelling for you. And I mean, that round of applause from Tim and myself. That's so exciting. Oh, that's very kind. That's very kind. Well, I mean, I just listed like three of like incredible directors. And I've never really directed like two things. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys did it. So maybe, uh, maybe, maybe me too, you know? Um, no, but those are, those are heavy, heavy inspirations with like, especially writing something and being in something. I think it's very uh, unique unique experience I've had with Starstruck, especially like coming from stand up and then being a character that's very close to who you are and then trying to find the differences. And yeah, it's funny. I was listening to a Steve Martin um, set of interviews. It's, it's on, it's on Pushkin at the moment. It's a podcast sort of uh, like an or sort of an audio book, but audio interviews and stuff. And it was interesting hearing what he would say about, he said about like, not wanting to go into directing, I think. And he prefers like playwriting because it's a much more, he's got much more control over the process and stuff. And directing just seems like boring. <laughs> but now you, I know for Steve, Steve is your guy, isn't he? I think so. He's a big guy for me. I really love Steve Martin. I think he, yeah, I, I do. 
I do. He, yeah, he was an er, he was an early an early guy for me. I don't know. I think he's just a kind of a similar, um, not similar, not similar to me, but uh, no, a, a relatable kind of dude who isn't. Is, is very is, is his natural demeanor is um very different to what he is on stage. Yeah, <laughs> quite, I quite enjoy that. I don't know. He's a very multifaceted dude, but also he's a guy, kind of guy who like. He's, he's like kind of a, manages to not be a snob, but also be interested in like interesting things. I, I just think he's, he's got, he's got something going on there. I think he's a very artistic dude. I, I like that. Have you, have you met him? Never. And I was like, I remember I was, I, I was booked in to see him and Martin Short at, uh, they were doing, they were doing with their show, their live show in like 2020, March, 2020. And then obviously COVID hit and then yeah he would be a person i would um freak the hell out about if i ever got to meet him i did st- i when i did conan i was sitting in my makeup chair like freaking out more than anything in, in the world and martin short was on the chair next to me because he was being interviewed. and i as my biggest regret is i didn't say hi to him but in my defense i think i was so nervous already but i kind of just froze and i was like okay so there are a number of ways this could go. I could say, hi, Martin, you know, so lovely to meet you. I'm such a huge fan, all this stuff. And he could be like, oh, thank you so much. And then I'd be stuck next to him on a makeup chair and he wouldn't talk to me probably. Yeah. You know, because that's, that's absolutely fine. Or he could have been a dick, which I don't think he would have been. Or like, you know, I could have been such a nervous wreck, which I was, and completely embarrassed myself, which I think that is the most likely outcome of that scenario. So I'm, I think I'm, 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 I'm happy that I didn't say anything. I would say, and I'm saying this as a friend, next time go for it, because I think these are sweeping stereotypes, but a Canadian and a New Zealander, that would have been a lovely chat. I think it could have been good, man. I think, I mean, again, I still frame it as a regret. It is a regret. So I have to write that wrong. I just need to get back in a makeup chair next to Martin Short. Now, when you're doing these, mate, I mean, this is, this is dreamland stuff. When you're doing the likes of Colbert, Seth Meyers, Cone, I mean, mate, Jesus wet. What's that like before they announce you? Are you are you getting in the zone? How, how do you how do you cope? I guess I don't cope at all. I don't cope well at all. I mean, I, I barely cope well enough. Like you know, at a very low key fun gig. I mean, I'm I'm nervous as hell before pretty much most things I do, um, especially when I'm out of like practice with stand up. But with those things, it's like another level. It's like a you kind of have to disconnect with the reality of it a bit because if you were fully sat in how weird it is, you would kind of really go really freak out. So it is a bit of a, you have to just fake it till you make it vibe. But the Conan one was very nerve wracking in that, like everyone who does Conan, you know, it's like you're doing material, you're doing your, your, you know, best five or six or whatever. Um, which I think is different to doing shows where it's like a talk show thing, like with Colbert and that, and it's, it's, uh, where that is just like, Oh God, I've got to be charming for like six minutes and really just try hard to be charming and funny and with uh, in front of a sea of an audience that has no clue who I am. But Conan was awesome because he, he literally comes out and warms them up, like whips them into like a frenzy is so kind to the act. Like, really really like does goes in above and beyond to warm them up and like basically force them to give you 
be a good audience for you. So you go out and you're like, this is the best audience I've ever performed to. Yeah. Kind of in that fake American way as well, where I'm like, what the hell are you laughing at? Like when I gig in America, it's so weird compared to like the UK, like the UK, it's, it's always like, it has you scared. Like I like when I, I'm suspicious of an audience when they laugh uh, easily in, in America compared to here, we have to certainly <laughs> work for it a bit more. But um, yeah, it's never going to not be the most nerve wracking thing. It's crazy. Well, just to flip the Martin Short regret, mm -hmm. I don't think any of those appearances could have gone any better. Just an absolute triumph, mate. I mean, you know, <laughs> glorious. Nice. Um, but I mean, I'm also I mean from like the I think from the moment of the Colbert one, he goes, "This is your first U.S. torture appearance." What a beautiful uh, reaction that is! I mean, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, but he loves New Zealanders. He's he's re he was really he's a big fan of New Zealanders and the Lord of the Rings and Jacinda and all that stuff. So yeah. I knew that as well. So I was like, you know, we can talk about Lord of the Rings forever. I remember I, I didn't I didn't because I do pre chat pre interview chat things and um for all those shows and I remember. I did not, I don't think I mentioned my celebrity height chart in that. I think that came out of nowhere. Or maybe I brought it up myself, but I was like, that's, that's something I should really put out there. <laughs> 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 Is that I made a celebrity height chart um, that he was on. I've got, I've got to say uh, Conan is, I'm very much a, a Conan guy to the extent where that the, the farewell speech he gives on the Tonight Show, when he says, if you work hard on a kind, amazing things will happen. I say, that's my girl's every morning on the That's school. That's so rock. sweet. That's oh, so sweet. Love, look, I couldn't love Conan anymore. Now, we've talked about movies. You've been a film fan. Always be common is Tim Lewis said to me that your uh, relationship with the Prince Charles, he said, that would be, that is my dream. So that, you know, you're, <laughs> you're sort of, you're us living the dream. We're living vicariously through you, I guess. Can you just, but, but not every listener might, might not know about it. Could you just share uh, what that is about and, what, and what's coming up? Oh god yeah oh well prince charles cinema it's a fantastic cinema in uh in london smack bang in chinatown central london and it's just i mean the thing i love about this city like i've lived here now eight years but like i'm now living here i've got my visa i'm done i'm i'm here now this is where this is where i live so and one of the most amazing things about this city is is the amount of uh cinemas and particularly independent cinemas that are here like i as a girl who just like was obsessed with movies and 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 going to the cinema in New Zealand it's like it's 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 like I'm like you don't know what you've got here man this is incredible like yeah. there's so many beautiful beautiful cinemas that I think need to be supported especially in in uh in London I mean everywhere in the UK really but uh Prince Charles is one of my faves and um and yeah they reached out like a year like a year ago or so ago basically it all started from me going Beverly Hills Cop, the trilogy is one of my favorite. Well, one and two, one of my favorite films ever, ever since I was like 12. And I was like, well, I wanted to do a screening there. And then they, they hit me up going, we should do that. So we started with Beverly Hills Cop, Beverly Hills Cop 2. And then we did, we've done Mannequin, we played Clue. Basically these are like movies that I would show, I'd force my friends to watch at sleepovers. And now I'm doing it as an adult to, to other film kind of nerds in London. Um, we've done Sweet Charity, we've done, um we've done a ton of stuff it's 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 super it's like don't like don't get like tim tim needs to know that i i appreciate it as much as um any other film fan and coming up we've got like four um coming up two are two are on sale at the moment um we're doing broadcast news um which is 
this week so maybe it won't be out by the pod um, but it, it would have been a past event broadcast news we're doing charade 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 however you like to say that audrey hepburn carrie grant um which is next month i think and then yeah a couple more coming up after that and then i do a little chat beforehand and then we all watch the movie it's sick oh, it's awesome. so awesome it's very you, cool do you write material about the movie uh no no i don't really i honestly like to be honest, one of them, I, I was just coming from the edit of, 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 of the, the, the show. And I think I had about four whiskeys. I had like just gone through, <laughs> as, 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 as is common with me, I'd just gone through a breakup and had about four whiskeys at the pub and then rocked up to a screening of, um, I forgot what it was, Mannequin, and then introduced the film. And, I, and then I kind of sat down and went, what did I just, what did I just say up there? What did I just say four whiskeys do? But, um, <laughs> So that's pretty much the vibe. I, I won't show up drunk every time to the to the, to the intro. Um, I usually just talk about what the film means to me and like the context of which I, I chose it. And usually it is because like it's just one of my favorites. And you know, I, I'm as much of a BFI girly as the rest of them. I go, I, 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 I can watch a sort of fancy sort of art house film and stuff and all the rest of it and, and pretend to be like, you know, real knowledgeable, but also I love the fact that I'm just playing films that I'm not really ashamed of like loving and being huge influences on me as a kid. And you're like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's fun to get to just play sort of mannequin, like mannequin, Kim Cattrall, Andrew McCarthy, like no one's like, uh, no one's playing that, that, that film in cinemas um, uh, in 2023. So yeah, it's uh it's a freaking dream, but no, honestly, I thought I would have to do more material before those shows, uh, before the screenings, but it, it, the, 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 nerds are so powerful. The nerds are so, nerds are so strong that they literally like, they're kind of like, get off stage. We want to watch the film, Like they don't care about me being there. They're like, great. Thanks for choosing the film. Bye. Get off. We want to see the movie. Now, now if you, now, if you want to go, if you Google, uh, Rose Matafaya, Prince Charles. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. it, it, there's a, there's a, Rose has her own designated page. God, it looks great. Fantastic. Matafeo oh, at so the lucky. movies. God, mate, you that is Wild. living the dream. Wonderful. Yeah. This is your typical radio ad while eating a Crunch Bar. This is Automatic of Auto's Used Cars. This weekend only, we're having a whale. Bring the kids. See for yourself. It is huge. Gonna make a big splash. No other dealer can say they have a whale like this. When things sound dull, turn up the fun with Crunch. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, you're curating your dream comedy gig. Now, I ask this question as someone who has a lot of pre-gig rituals. Uh, do, you, do you have any pre-gig rituals? Apologies for the sirens. That's just contextualizing that. They're on, the, <laughs> they're on their way. Uh, I, like to, I like to do a high-speed high uh, police car chase <laughs> before every gig. 
It really gets me in the mood. Um, I um, pre-show rituals. I think I think gig to gig, they're all different. I think if we were talking like if we were doing the fringe, I like getting a routine in, in order in a place like that to sort of you know calm me. Like I I I I often just sit there, do my makeup, listen to the same Spotify playlist, you know, eat the same banana barocca coffee mix. I would do that before the Soho runs. It would always be banana barocca coffee and some walnuts potentially <laughs> and then go and try and be energetic on stage but then i think honestly like my like i've been doing i'm i get so nervous about gig like a gig will ruin my day from the moment i wake up because i'll be nervous about the gig and i'll just be thinking about well it's gonna go bad I'll think of all the ways in which i could fuck it up um not a great way to be but i've found it's just basically my personality so I've tried to like, I've tried to conf- like confine that to like, it's actually only happened in the last couple of years, but I go, okay, feasibly you, you need uh, two, two or three hours. You can freak out for three hours before the gig, but everything before then it's just useless. Like it's just useless to, to, to just don't even think about it because if you were actually hardworking, you could sit down for an hour, go through your set, write news that stuff like you could actually get a lot done but you're just a master procrastinator so i've tried to like really um uh yeah basically compartmentalize my time and worry before a gig so i'd say about two to three hours of worry before a gig is my pre-show ritual and um going through bits and listening to some music and yeah pretty much that's it and this is what some people probably don't appreciate because I know some comedians say, huh, getting paid for 20 minutes work, not bad. But <laughs> if you're like us, you, they're not factoring in the what could be, I mean, sometimes you can put something in the diary, it can be days of worry. Uh, I think, is it yeah. Alan's last phrase, a loomer? You know, and you put yeah. when something is looming in the, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, that's the worst. Loomer is bad. Oh. I mean, it's completely different because also, like, it's like, it's never consistent. Like, you could be being paid to go die in your ass for 20 minutes. Like, you know, it's a gig that you're like, well, this is going to suck. Also, the amount of travel that so many gigging comedians have to do. Like, I mean, I'm not even a hardcore, I don't travel and do tours and all that stuff, but it's a massive amount of, 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 you know, you're, you're sometimes traveling two hours to get to do 15 minutes and you're traveling two hours back. Like, when I was doing these, you know, ABC gigs, it's like, but I'd, I'd be editing all more all day. And then I, and then I'd come and do that gig. And then I'd get home at like 11. So then you're really done like 9am till 11 sort of, of, yeah. <laughs> you know, work. Absolutely. If you're doing it alongside other jobs, which a lot, you know, many comedians are because they can't make enough money doing the gig. So it's, um, yeah, it's it, it occupies a lot more time than the time on stage for sure. But there are some people who can just walk on and just have fun and live their lives. But I um I can't do that in real life, let alone I can't imagine I'd magically change <laughs> as soon as I walk on stage. Oh wow, this is great. I'm just gonna free flow this. Like what? I've never been that person. What the fuck? Do you, I mean this this current stuff, do you think you will build it up to a tour? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, next week I'm doing some gigs out of town. So I'm doing Leeds and Liverpool and uh, Salford and stuff. And it's, 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 um, it's cool because basically I, I feel like 
when I first moved here, it was obviously really London based. And the more I've done here, um, I think it is, I like, I didn't actually realize the kind of, it wasn't just me going, oh, I can't be bothered going to, you know, a, a tour in other places and people wouldn't even come see me anyway. It's actually quite, I don't want to be part of the sort of London centric kind of, you know, comedy only exists in this, this city, like in a country with amazing cities, amazing towns and, you know, amazing people in, in so many of the um, other bigger, bigger spots in the country. And I think I'm missing out on that a little bit. And, and especially with like things like Taskmaster and doing more stuff on telly and that we were like, can you come and do a show here? Oh. And I'm like, that's decent. Yeah. Because like, that's, that's true. Like the fact that you can't come and see stand up or stand up as, isn't as accessible as a thing to see people live. I think um, that, that I really re I thought about that differently. I think more less from a perspective of why would they want to, why would they want to see me and more like, you know, I'm from New Zealand, I'm from Auckland, the fact that when comedians would come out to to do the comedy festival there and have the opportunity to see these amazing international acts live, that's what got me into comedy. And so to think, you know, that that people don't get that as much outside of London is, um, is a freaking shame. So um, that does sound like me going, well, yes, of course, I'll tour to go and inspire that little girl in the audience who thinks maybe, maybe one day I'll try stand up comedy. But um, <laughs> that's not what I mean. Um, I would love to, I'd love to go to those places and maybe I'd do a tour. So long story, long answer. But James, I don't know. Maybe. I'm unsure. I'm, I, I'm actually trying to figure out if I want to do stand up at all anymore. So this is kind of like the potential farewell tour, possibly. That sounds my heart breaking. <laughs> oh, it's 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 all you know. It's it's everyone goes to that phase of stand up though, don't they? But it's I'll, hard though because all my friends are comedians, and then when else am I going to hang out with them? It's the problem. It's what keeps pulling me back in. If that, if that is true, just listener, I will continue as a Rose Matafeo tribute act. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that. And I and I totally approve you, like Rod Stewart does to his um impersonators. <laughs> best so the best person that isn't me. Um right, who who would MC this? Who would MC the gig? This is a great question. Um So I say so this gig, it's a star studded gig, but also I want some cool peeps that I know. So I'm gonna say Reese Nicholson. Right, perfect. I would love Reese to host because Reese is a is a is a dear friend an incredibly talented comedian so sharp so like freaking professional and <laughs> so freaking professional i sound like such a nerd there but i admire professional people <laughs> i love professional people particularly in comedy i love it i think it's to take your job seriously and to be like really good at it and really good at something and comedians i, I freaking love that vibe and also they would as an mc they would set the tone for the night beautifully Hugely. Well, uh, yeah, and uh, just so much like you got, you got to have someone who just whips people into a bit of a frenzy, you know. Who would open? Opener would be Maria Bamford. I want Maria Bamford. Great choice. I Maria Bamford. I mean, Maria Bamford's just one of my favorite comedians, um, and I think she would just. She's yeah. I think she would be a great opener in that setting the tone of the gig as you know it, it's, it's this is a gig of 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 slightly alternative you know 
um, the most hilarious people you've ever seen kind of gig. Um, and also just, I just think, yeah, I think she's fantastic. So it would be Maria Bamford. She, she, her early albums, comedy albums were like amongst the ones I would listen to over and over again, obsessively, and just know all of the delivery of all of these specific jokes. And also, if you're a punter, I mean, with Reese MCing as well, talk about star wattage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, no, this is a star-studded lineup. I'm not talking, I'm not talking, yeah. This is dream lineup. And also, one of my choices is dead. Perfect. So, well, not perfect that they're dead. I feel terrible now. Yeah, but, but, you know, but perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah we all know what you mean. Have you seen Bamford live? I have. And my, I think my favorite time was in um, Melbourne. Forgot what year it was, but yeah, Melbourne Comedy Festival. It's a great place. I love seeing people in Melbourne, especially Americans. It's always have, fun. Have you interacted with Maria Bamford? No, I never met her. Never met her. Have you met yeah. someone where you've gone? Because I suffer from this, where the little voice in your head's going, "Oh my god, I'm actually chatting with blah 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 blah." You know? Yeah. Oh god, yeah. I had that. I mean, I I, I nervously met Paul F. Tompkins after a show when I was about 19 and then now he's the person I like, you know, like not, I, he knows I exist, which is incredible, um, <laughs> which blows my mind. But yeah, there's definitely people like that for sure. Uh, who would, who would middle the gig? Flight of the Concords. Oh! Flight of the Concords. I hate to be a, I hate to be a bit of a, you know, uh, fan of New Zealand. <laughs> I don't really hate that. I'm proud of that, but they're just, and that's out and it might sound cliche, but it's just, they're the best. Like they're my, they're just, I've got such a attachment and nostalgia. It's, also, it's interesting as well, because I think in this country, I'm surprised at a lot of, I mean, I, I don't know enough about comedy. Like I'm, I'm, my, my knowledge isn't massive. And especially I think coming to a, to a scene like the UK and London in particular, like everyone's got so much more and in the same way that I have about New Zealand because that's you know where I where I learned how to do comedy but a lot more knowledge of the UK history um but then I'm, I'm surprised that some people of my age who are doing comedy didn't weren't as obsessed with Flight of the Concords as 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 um as I was and um it was such a pleasure that they were like doing stuff when I was like a teenager and I'd listen to the Radio 4 BB I still think it's probably the best Radio 4 um, comedy series ever made is the Flight of the Concords one. Uh, and also, it's I'm going to say something that every listener, when I say this, will go, oh, thank God. So I know a guy called Ian Morris who, who's worked with the Concords for donkey's mm. years. And so I can say with authority, they are hashtag lovely boys. <laughs> you got to get the hashtag. And they are, they are so cool and nice and like, I've literally never even properly met them, but I remember they like the, I think Jermaine hooked me up with some tickets to the Soho run of warm ups they were doing before they did the O2 gig and stuff. And oh, that was like, yeah. I felt like Mel. I felt like Mel because I went and I could sing all the words. And then like they did the bus driver song, which is like a real sort of deep cut one. And I was like, I know all the words of this song because it's one of my favorite songs. And it's just, um, but it's funny because I'm like friends with their sort of, like contemporaries back in there, like DOD and, you know, like it's, it's, so it's weird to like reminisce about what your favorite part of the Concord song from the perspective of a fan. And then also people who were just mates with them alongside them doing it uh, at that time. But I mean, yeah, I, I would, I would, it's just, 
That would be so good. Such a good middle. I think that would really. Unbelievable. And also, one of the reasons why they are among the greatest music acts ever, ever, ever squared is that they're, yes, they're hilarious. Yes, they're uh, hilarious between songs. They're two hilarious dudes. But their songs are legit amazing. So I played Inner City Pressure for my two girls probably about just a fortnight ago. That is unironically such a good song fucking brilliant oh my god it's incredible i mean uh i was uh with someone who really like i really like the pet shop boys and i was like oh you've seen you've listened to inner city pressure right and i was like this is a pet shop boys song yeah this is like they're so good at parodying so specifically but uh like um uh, certain uh, musical styles because they're both incredible musicians as well but it's uh my favorite at the moment is um uh, one that they did for, I think, the, the HBO show, which was um, You Don't Have to Be a Prostitute to to for, to Jermaine, where he, like, just decides that he's going to get into sex work because he, like, can't pay for some stuff. But there's, like, the one lyric that makes me laugh every time, just the way because it's sung, uh, is, um, yeah, this is my favourite game with my friends, especially comedy friends, is what your favourite side of the concourse lyric is. But um, it's... The lyric, the chorus is like, he can't see his way out. I can't see my way out. He can't see his way out. And my favorite lyric is Dwayne <laughs> going, male prostitution seems to be my only option. <laughs> the way it's sung is like, I, I get such an endorphin rush when I hear that. And when I sing it, um, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good song. So I, yeah. Oh my god, this gig is sick! I'm what just gig? What a gig! Yeah. Um, I, I'm talking about six inches taller for the for this gig lineup. Oh, you, you come back from the break. Who's closing? This is an interesting choice. It is a choice, of course. I mean, as you'll notice, none of those people are currently dead, um, and it's it's tough because he's so low energy that maybe following the Concords with this, but with Reese in between. It might be fine, but um, I would choose Mitch Hedberg, which is such a route one sort of, yeah, yeah, you called it. Yeah, it's route one. It's classic, you know, every comedian will say that, but I don't really care because he gen- he re- really was one of my biggest um, influences as a kid. My mum, who's so cool, she's a cool mum, um, she heard him on the radio i think uh when in like the early 2000s and then off the early version i guess of amazon <laughs> ordered um strategic grill locations and um mitch all together the cds and she'd play them for us uh, when i was like really like 10 or 11 really got obsessed with him then and uh it would just like yeah he's one of the most perfect joke writers and also just like, I love this delivery. I like, I love listening to some of his albums now and hearing how like, how uncertain he is with his comedy as well. Like, I'm like, it's so mad that like, he's so revered and he's so well loved and like, he'll do a joke and he'll be like, damn, that joke didn't go well. Like, and he's still so like, you know, hard on himself, which is kind of sad and annoying, but relatable perhaps. Yeah. I just, and also, you know, I think any Mitch Hedberg fan feels the same. You just love him so much. You just want to throw your arms around him, don't you? What a sweet, yeah, yeah, what a sweet persona, you know. 
just yeah just this like knowing particular like also obsessively knowing the delivery of of certain jokes on those albums is um is such a fun thing it's a sad it's a sad thing like i think like you know comedy specials so many people have comedy specials these days um but the comedy album is a medium that's sort of died out a bit and was so huge you know back in the day and it was such a portable um you know portable and um like you could listen to it over and over and it was much more rather than like engaging in a, in a special like that you have to watch like i love when i love listening to the comedy album versions of like john mulaney you know um albums and stuff because that's when you know long car rides or like on the bus and stuff you would listen to it over and over again and i guess maybe podcasts have like sort of superseded that but yeah i think that was such a um huge like accessibility thing for me growing up in new zealand is being able to listen to comedy albums and not see people live necessarily um but uh it was um yeah it was more of um I don't know also a very intimate experience i've 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 been listening to all through lockdown i listened to god obsessed with um dot cat's professional therapist um which was a show that i watched as a kid and i absolutely loved so you know there's definitely like interesting yeah. comedy from when i was a kid but far out i mean it's so good and obviously mitch hepberg does that um is on what's that mark maron is on uh, is on um uh, same episode that and uh so many Carrie Fisher's episode of Dr. Katz is so, so funny. Um, Sarah Silverman's on, on, I think that's what her sister is in it. But I started listening to it in lockdown as I, to go to sleep, just the audio of it. And the audio of it's great. Like, it's just, you know, hearing your favorite comedians do their funniest bits and then, you know. And he had such a soporific voice, Dr. Katz. And that's a nice thing. Oh to, my God. Yeah. He, he's got the best voice ever. Maybe he should have emceed the gig. <laughs> now, um, is there has there been an incident at a gig that is that is so lovely that you would somehow love to replicate at this gig? Oh, it's a great point. What a great question. Great concept. Great thought in general. Uh, there was a dog at my show the other day. An assistant's dog. His name was. Which is a dog at two of my shows this week. Um, they were both at the front as well. And I, I, they didn't distract until the end. And I was like, there's a dog here. And everyone went, oh, uh, <laughs> that was quite nice. I think, I think, oh, oh, well, actually, you know what? One of the most fun things I've ever done, which was when I did a show called Finally Dead. And I did do that at the Fringe. It was my first Fringe hour. But I, it was a show that I obviously originated in New Zealand, in Auckland. And that show had to change in many ways, depending on what festivals I went to. But in the version I did in Auckland, I would get everyone out to the, because it was basically me running my own funeral. So I'd get everyone out to the front and um, make everyone out come front. And, and on my Nissan Bluebird um, car, I'd written, uh, um, like I'd, I'd, I'd tied cans to it and written like Uber hearse, because it was a joke about like Ubering a hearse for your funeral. And then I danced on the top of the roof of my car to Grease Megamix um, <laughs> with Paul Williams and my friend Madeline Sami, and we would do a, a. I would be dancing on the top of my car, and and every and every night, you know, people would kind of be walking past, and I would be finishing the show out in this car park with all these people watching, all these people that you know, 120 or whatever have fit that that venue, 
but it was also amazing because like people would be walking to go and see other shows and like being like what the hell is what is that what's going on down there and then i'd just get in the car and then drive away oh uh, and it was so fun because i would get to just drive drive off and it was the coolest way of finishing a show because also you just finish a show and you're like in a car and you're like well wow that was that was fun in a car with the person you'd be doing the show with the whole hour and it, that was a real fun shared experience i think it was a very um i mean steve martin did that back in the day didn't he, he would just take the whole audience of college students out to an empty swimming pool and and uh crowd surf on them and stuff but yeah so maybe that would happen that's yeah. very cool yeah. um now the other side of that has there been an incident that, that must not happen an incident at a gig um I mean, any time, uh, heckling never is great, never is fun. Mate, um, 100%. <laughs> I got, but I've been heckled in the most. I've actually really not had to deal with too many hecklers in my time. But I mean, I, my, the only funny big one was at Brighton Dome, opening for Nish Kumar, and um, a, a man sort of really taking me to town about, I guess, being a feminist or something. Uh, it was... Or just being, you know, kind of like glib about, you know, men sucking in a way. And, um, and it was, uh, it was fun. It was quite fun though. Like, I mean, it's kind of electrifying having to engage in a, in a moment of, of trying to talk to a heckler and like, you know, talk him down and the, and the audience were very supportive. So, I mean, it wasn't the worst one. I mean, oh, sorry. Oh, the biggest one. I remember I was doing a, a, I was doing a show with Guy Montgomery, a split bill show in Melbourne at um, uh, a place. And <laughs> and my boyfriend at the time uh, and uh, his mate came to see the show. Um, and the boyfriend was did comedy. And um, and I remember being so nervous, you know, to, you know, it's always horrible when a partner sees your show, especially, you know, someone who does the same thing as you. And um and I remember Guy did the first half and then I started in the second half and then about two minutes into my set, a person passes, passes out in the, um, completely passed, or has a seizure in the audience. So I like, was like, and then basically it was just going, uh, uh, I stopped the show, ambulance came, person was fine eventually. The person from the festival was kind of like, do you want to, can you go finish the show? <laughs> so then I had to go, go finish the show. None of us knew if that person had survived. It was so bad. It was so bad. Like of all the shows as well. Oh God. That a boyfriend could come see. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, it was such a bad, I mean, and that person is all good, but my God, um, it was the most painful, awkward experience <laughs> for me. What? So let's focus on my pain. <laughs> yeah. Okay. For a minute here. What, what was the mood like when you went back on stage? Terrible. It was terrible. No, I was like, everyone was just like, what just happened? We don't want to see comedy. Like, I was kind of like to the person from the festival. I was like, no one, people are fine with me not going to finish the set. But then they're like, no, I'm not going to finish it. So, oh God, yeah, terrible. I was one time seeing a, a gig in Winchester, probably shouldn't have said where it was. An audience member was so upset by one of the comedians, they chased them out of the, the PTA gig, chased them out of the school hall. All hell broke loose, and then I had to go. <laughs> I had to go back up and wrap the gig. There is that Terrific. voice in your head. Is like, why are we, why are we going through with this madness? Yeah, uh, 
it's 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 my it's wild it's wild it's it's a it's it's like that kind of duty to like no but you're a performer and you must go up and you must finish your job and you're like who wants this who wants this right now let's just go on the show must go on you know it's that sort no. of thing. um now how do you god I, I i already can't wait with this how do you unwind after a after a gig is it a classic movie well yeah i mean it's yeah it is probably watching something it's hard because i think if a gig has gone bad then it's just wallowing in there if a gig has gone well it's sort of coming down from the sort of inflation of uh, ego that is bad for anyone and also sort of the rush of adrenaline of, of having finished it and got through it like i just get massive adrenaline having having it done i'm never happier than when it's done it's behind me i'm never having a good time any other part of the process <laughs> no that's not true it is fun sometimes but no, it's Rose, um, I'm with you. fun when the, we finish the, the highlight mm. of any show for me personally is the is the journey home because yeah it, it's amazing that, that's the only sweet spot i've got and this is too revealing where i can actually enjoy it because like, even yeah. the next day i'm already on to worrying about the next show of course it's the afterglow that's why my show in, in the fringe 11 20 a.m everyone's like oh my god i'm so sorry i'm like no i'm not like if i can bang it out even if it's bad and i have a whole day where i can just not be worried about doing a gig um i think i'll be i think i'll be quite happy with that um but yeah i i, I think unwinding i do like to i guess i love listening to music um on the way to the gig and from the gig as well so i i, I think i extra enjoy it on a little adrenaline high um on the way back i love a bus home i love um yeah i think but the, the the funny thing is that the unwinding like the act of unwinding i feel like it's not it's different to coming home from a full day of work doing something else or you know nine to five and then there's an element of unwinding or disconnecting from the thing you've done i think comedy is there's so much around it that is just like so wonderful and exciting it's the social aspect of it it's the sort of it is the nerves of doing it but it's also getting if you're on a lineup show getting to see other performers like that's amazing like part of the unwinding is just watching the rest of the acts of, of the show and and there's nothing there's nothing i mean this sounds so cheesy in that like but it's it's there's nothing really to unwind from because the doing it the process of it is kind of inherently fun and and is the enjoyable is, is enjoyable i know i've just kind of you know contradicted what i said about it not being fun but it is fun as well and that's that's the whole mess of comedy is that it's fun and not fun and and like the best and worst thing and you know it's it's a it's it's a it's a mind fuck so un unwinding is um also i've never unwound before so i actually it's a it's a flawed question i i, I keep myself tightly wound constantly um uh just in case Mate, you're you're singing to the choir. Yeah. Now, before you go, Rose, you know what yeah. Tim and I think of you. We, you, you know, we we think the world of you. Absolutely wonderful. You're up to no good. A <laughs> little bit of extra trivia, though. Uh -huh. If you've ever seen the corridor photos, that always be comedy, and wondered why the ones that Rose are in are always the best photos, it's because Rose. No one directs that shot quite like Rose. So thank you for thank you for it's that gift. It's actually the worst of me coming out. It's the head girl in me. It's the it's the it's the um yeah i mean i don't think anyone is happy about it everyone else looks very unhappy and i look really happy and the lighting's great so you know someone needs to take some leadership for as those my, photos as my wife will attest if there's one thing that tim and i need it's uh and this is the role my wife plays 
it's a head girl in our lives to get shit. <laughs> thank I'm you. Glad Rose. I can provide that service. <laughs> Listen, thanks very much. Cheers, dude. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Rose. Huge thanks to Rose Matafeo. I'm sure you will agree. That was an absolute banger of an episode. As always, th thanks for sharing. If you, you know, share the episodes and all that, it, it helps so much. Uh, we're across the socials at always be comedy. Thanks for spreading the word. Tim, what is your favorite Rose Matafeo memory? For me, it was when she won the big Edinburgh award. Uh, she had been circling around it for a long time with brilliant shows. And then Horndog, I think was, I think it was her best show at the time. I think it's just an amazing show. Everything comes together so well. Uh, it was on iPlayer. It might not be on iPlayer anymore, but it's definitely worth watching. But yeah, a show which HBO took and turned to a special. It's properly brilliant. And she so deserved to win the award that year. She got that. She, the, it's the writing. It's the performance. It's the charisma. There's this like fire in her soul. You know, yeah. she's so. There could be there could be a like there could be an actual fire taking place in a room, but you wouldn't pay any attention to it because Rose Matafeo is so magnetic a performer. Absolutely. So to bring it back to the Oscars, Tim, you're sort of saying that it was a bit like Denzel Washington winning the Oscar for Training Day, in that yes, Denzel was brilliant in Training Day, but had also been brilliant for a number of years. I'd say it's exactly like Denzel Washington winning the best Oscar in, for training day. Now, I'm well aware that Denzel also won for glory, but that was best supporting actor, whereas training day was... Exactly. Thank best. you. My other favourite memory was when uh, she, she referenced how much she loves Albert Brooks, because yes, I think she is Albert Brooks of the 21st century. James, do you have a favourite memory of Rose Metafeo? Yes. As mentioned on the episode, Rose Metafeo... Uh, is directly responsible for getting me back into therapy. Um, so, you know, hey, 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 guys! Comedy, comedy can have a profound impact on your life. Yeah, so I, I used to do a lot of therapy, and then sort of just naturally, my therapist and I like genuinely had that Matt Damon, Robin Williams, it's not your fault moment that everybody dreams of, and we, oh we had that. We genuinely, we genuinely had that that moment. And now I'm not, I'm not for a second saying that we embraced and cried and I was, you know, inverted commas, cured. Not saying that for a second, but please bear in mind that I'd been in therapy for, uh, you know, a, a, a good number of years. And so I just sort of naturally faded away. And it got to the point where it was a bit like, it was a bit like an MOT. I just like pop in, I pop in once a year. And then lockdown happened. And I, even though we did a lot of online shows, I didn't really like the, I, the thought of online therapy didn't quite work. And then I, I, I can't burn any of Rose's gear. But anyway, after one show, I collared Rose for a bit of advice about online therapy. And then, and then as a direct consequence of, of uh, some of the themes of, of, uh, th that Rose talks about, I, I ended up getting back to therapy. So I, I, I can't thank Rose enough, really. Um, Tim, I, I, as good as that is, as good as that answer is, and as and as grateful as I am to Rose and indeed to my therapist for uh, for let me uh, for finding room in a, in her crammed uh, uh, diary, I still think your vintage answer remains the best. The best <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was a very. I think that's an amazing one. Rose Matafeo getting you back in therapy is incredible. 
Well, one of our regulars told me last night that he now uses the Vinted app off the bat. I swear Does to he? God. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uses the Vinted app and said, I can't believe what... He actually said, I can't believe what a good app it is. And mate, that's absolutely amazing. Uh, Vinted, if you're listening, we would be up yeah. for doing some paid-for content. Um, oh, hang on, Tim, we've ne- we didn't mention Tuesday just gone. We had. Uh, we know that a lot of you guys have come to the podcast via the online shows and we had a bit of an online reunion on Tuesday because Rachel and Marcus, Rachel Paris and Marcus Brigstock were the Tuesday nightclub throughout lockdown. Uh, very much the, the bogey and Bacall. Oh, I'm more than just an Odeon guy. Uh, the bogey and Bacall <laughs> of uh, always be comedy. And so what happened, we, we, we did this live show and then people had traveled from all over, quite literally uh, all over to be there. And then also as an added bonus, uh, Ramesh Ranganathan did a, a six 30 show before the eight, eight o'clock show and so all the on not all but a lot of the online dudes came along tim it was it was like noel's house party in there <laughs> it was, the atmosphere was pure joy it was kind of crazy it was the culmination of like a show which started three years ago with rachel paris and marcus brigstock a show which started because we were doing the tuesday shows with ramesh online and then for him to warm up for Ranganation. Oh my gosh. Only made that connection now. Oh my gosh. So Tuesday, and we did this with a total fluke, ended up being a, quite literally a celebration of all things Tuesday nights. It was Tuesday, ABC 2020. Oh my gosh. So what happened? Ramesh Ranganathan did a run of online shows, as Tim says, to warm up for Ranganation. And then we'd had such a great time. Tim, we'd also, I mean, we can, not a lot of people know this, to quote the old 80s impression of Michael Caine, but we used to, we, we used to call those Roma shows that the, we, you and I would call it Tuesday Nightclub, and so we wanted to keep that Tuesday Nightclub vibe going, and that is how uh, Rachel and Marcus came to be. Isn't that a lot? We're well aware there was a global pandemic, and I don't mean to sound glib, and I, I guess it was a case of trying to make the best of a, a very strange situation. But that that was that was that was a I know if taken out of context what I'm saying sounds terrible, but that was that was a lovely time, Tim, wasn't it? There was a community vibe there. Yeah, it really was. It was so important for you and me, but also it feels like a lot of people. It felt that way, certainly on Tuesday with the shows. Um, yeah, lovely people, just delighted to be there, and it's just it's all mad because it's like oh, it's like the Zoom front row. But we're actually here. And then what also, I know we've, we've talked about this before, but then what also happens is people that were not on the front row, because obviously the, the yeah. front row was a, was a, was a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, really, the people that came to the gigs. And so then yeah. what, what happens, it happened again on Tuesday, uh, people will come up to you and, and say something very nice, like you just, you know, you got me through lockdown, but you'd never, you'd never met these people before. And because they weren't on the front row, you've never seen them. So you're putting a, you're putting a face to an email address and it's still, uh, even after all this time, it still is, overwhelming but in the loveliest uh, way possible so if you are one of the people that have come to always be comedy via the online stuff and we know that that is a lot of you we're, we're always uh, really grateful and none of it is ever lost on us yeah absolutely so lovely to see everyone um let's do it again sometime uh huge and heartfelt thanks thanks really correspondents please keep it coming in the team at always uh, be comedy uh, dot com and uh, we will see you next week. Tim, uh, have a great week, dude. 
Oh, thank you. And you. Take care, guys. Bye-bye-bye-bye. <laughs>